0: Good afternoon. Can you hear me? Good afternoon. Terrific. Terrific. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna be very flexible. We're gonna pivot here a little bit. We're gonna start with a video, but we're still gonna try to show you that video once we get a little bit of audio. So we're gonna go ahead and just kick off here. Um, we'll just do some introductions, and I'll start. Uh, my name is Gary Holcaveen. I'm CEO of Rocky Mountain Power, and you're probably saying, "Why the heck is he up here in a commercial real estate, uh, you know, symposium?" And I mean, the answer is we are. We've got a really terrific opportunity for some commercial real estate development at our facility in Salt Lake City. Uh, we have hundred acres between downtown and the airport and we are building a new headquarters on it. And we're looking into ideas for continuing uh, commercial real estate development on that hundred acres. We think it's a really creative and, and unique opportunity. And so this idea is to have a little conversation about what happened in Atlanta. Could something like that fit in Salt Lake City? Could something like that fit somewhere in Utah? So that's why I'm here, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I'm gonna ask a bunch of questions. I'm super curious about all of this. Um, and uh, also I'm gonna want you to answer, ask some questions. So if you see on your seat, the little QR code, that comes up to my iPad. And if you've got questions, we would love to make this a dialogue. So I'm curious, you're curious about what happened in Atlanta. Let's have that conversation. So speaking of Atlanta, Jeremy, please introduce. Well,
1: 100 acres will certainly get it done, Gary. So good luck. I'm Jeremy Strife. I'm the Executive Vice President of Development for the Atlanta Braves. Um, Prior to joining the Braves, this is my eighth season. I was nine years with Simon Property Group, uh, which you guys are probably all familiar with. I did about $3 billion in development with them across six different states um, and moved down to Atlanta in uh, 2015. So part of my gig is I run our Braves development company. Um, And that essentially is the uh, development real estate arm of the Atlanta Braves. So we're owned by Liberty Media. There's a baseball team and then a sister company as the development uh, company. We had to keep it financially and legally uh, separated for revenue sharing purposes if we would have kept it underneath the mlb entity we would have to give 30 cents of every dollar away and we weren't willing to do that so we created our own um, development that is equal under the hold co and uh, i run the developments team as well of all of, uh, of our uh, stadium operations so our security services parking services and our health preparedness such that it is perfect thank you greg
2: yeah i'm uh, greg sherlock this comes off okay um I'm an architect with uh, the name. of The company is called Populous. Um, we're, you know, generally we're known as sport architects. We're global, um, headquartered in Kansas City. Um, for those that want to understand what Populous means, it means drawing people together. So we see uh, opportunities really focused on the idea of drawing people together. So and we worked with the Atlanta Braves Uh, that was uh, we got on really early uh, got on board very early uh, as sort of the sport-centric architects for the ballpark which evolved into the the battery district itself so
0: Greg, thanks Greg
2: Sarah
3: all right, hi everyone. I'm Sarah Nargis. I am. Um, I work with Mortenson Construction, and I'm our general manager here in Salt Lake City. Um, and the reason I'm up here on the stage is because. Um, so I've been with the company for 16 years. Eight of it was in Denver doing some neat, um, neat things in Denver, but then. Uh, we joined our sports group. So we have a sports specific focus group and I'm actually from Tennessee originally. So the Braves um, have some uh, meaning for me beyond this discussion. But I, one of the first sports projects that I um, did, I was one of the senior project managers within the construction team and we built the Braves ballpark and then a few of the other buildings that we'll tell you about a little bit today. Um, And then for me personally, I, I left that, went to Allegiant, Stadium. We built that for the Raiders, and then I just recently finished up a um, soccer stadium in St. Louis and then came to Salt Lake City last year to take this opportunity. And so I'm here as the um, construction, you know, execution uh, part of the conversation.
0: Thank you, Sarah. Josh, how are we doing?
1: One minute. Holding. No audio. Okay.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, I think maybe what we'll do um, what we'll do is uh, we'll just jump right in, Jeremy, and you've got a few slides that you can tell us and it'll probably give us a bit of an overview anyway. And then when we get the audio, we'll go back to the video. But tell us about the, the battery.
1: Sure. So we'll do a, an overview of what we're talking about, the actual campus, and then we'll dive into the genesis of it. How does it work within sports and the uh, real estate industry? So we're talking about the Battery Atlanta. It's 100 acres. Uh, it's the... Um, it's a master. It's the only. It's the first ever master plan mixed use development anchored by a professional sports stadium. So you guys have probably heard of Ballpark Village or Patriot Place or Texas Live or some of these other, Philly Live, Xfinity Live, all these type of uh, developments. But the Battery Atlanta, what makes it unique is it was master planned and constructed at the same time as uh, the ballpark itself. So instead of being retrofitted one way or the other, where the, the density was there but the team wasn't, or the team was there and the density came afterwards, this came all at the same time. Um I arrived with the Braves in 2015. We broke ground uh November of 14. Um we'll go over kind of site selections, 41 different sites and how we ended up where we were, but um it turned out to be a 2.25 million square foot mixed-use development completely uh, connected to our ballpark, which is about 42,000 uh in capacity. We moved 14 miles from the northwest from Turner Field, which was originally uh constructed for the Olympics in Atlanta in 1996. So it was retrofitted to become uh, baseball, it had about 52,000 seats in it. Um, so we needed uh, an environment that serviced our guests um, the, in the best way possible. Um, we used a lot of metrics to determine what that meant. The Atlanta Braves are the longest continuously operating sports franchise in American history, founded in 1871 uh, in Boston, then moved to uh, Milwaukee in 53 and moved to, uh, no, 55 and moved to, the uh, Uh, Atlanta I'm pretty sure nobody's gonna yeah so (laughs) but some people will say you know the Cincinnati red stockings were created in 1869 but they weren't continuously operating so we get to say that Uh, the other great metric that we use to form our um, uh, decision-making innovation is we have the largest marketing demographic of any professional sport we pull from six different states that's huge Um, the reason for that is we were owned by Ted Turner in the 90s he owned TBS Turn the dish to the space. Uh, broadcast across the entire southeast. Then you win, you know, a World Series, um, which in '21 also. Um, and you might want to show folks. the Well, the I had radio. to bring the hardware, you know, so you guys could see. <clears throat> you know, you can strive for greatness. It's supposed to be inspirational. So um, we have the largest um, marketing demographic. Over 40% of our fans traveled at least 100 miles to come to our games. Um, and 55% of them bring a child. So we have a huge base, they are willing to travel, they stay multiple nights, and they are family-centric, essentially, is is our brand. And we knew that the ballpark located where it was in a retrofitted area for the Olympics, um, eight blocks away from the largest black tar heroin market in Southeast, was not gonna work for us long-term. So we went to look um, what our guests needed, we wanted to move our ballpark closer to them, make the experience easier, access to the site was huge you'll see that in the slides Uh, we went from two points of access to 14 different points of access 360 degree parking all the way around um, the campus from essentially a sea of parking on one end so it doesn't matter where you traveled in from you had to park in that one way and come in it just wasn't efficient it wasn't a great experience people were coming late they were leaving early there was nothing to compel them other than obviously the legacy and their generational Memories that they passed down. So we made the the decision to move, pick this great site, um, looked at what the underserved market uh, needed from us on a 365 uh, day basis. Um, You know, 81 days of baseball are great, special events are great, um, but we wanted to do something more, especially with the needs of our fans. So there came um, the Omni Hotel 265 Keys. We have actually now four Fortune 500 headquarters on our site with Truist Securities, Papa John's, Tyson Krupp, and Comcast. Um, so that brings in thousands of workers. We're within walking distance of 26 million square feet that we connected with pedestrian bridges. Our site is actually more dense than downtown Charlotte. And they you know, the, you know, the stuff you might have read about the politics of it, where you're, you know, leaving the urban areas. We actually got more dense. We actually got more urban. Um, with our location. Let's see if maybe we can take a shot of yeah. the video
0: again. Uh,
1: Josh. Uh, it's a cool <laughs> video. I, mean, I, I can't <laughs> sing or anything. I feel, I feel like Jeremy can Let, let's let's do that.
0: Just have you just show tell oh, tell yes. us
1: what Oh, it's a cool video we made. Um, all right. Two, 240,000 feet of retail, 531 uh, multifamily um, luxury units. We now have two hotels, you know, uh, over a million one square feet of office um, and about seven parking decks, uh, tens of thousands of feet of common areas. You can see here multiple stage and performance venues, splash pad. Uh, all the things that you need um, to create a a mixed-use, you know, multidimensional environment, including a live nation venue um, that's 53,000 square feet and has a 4,000-person capacity. We run 139 events out of there a year. Um, so during the pandemic, to give you an idea, I will tell you we're a little bit different than maybe some other people experienced out west. Um, uh, we're a red state still, uh, such that it is, which means we... Uh, we operated. We actually opened 475,000 square feet during the pandemic. We were also the only Live Nation venue open in the world. Between June of 2020 and December 31st of 2020, we hosted 26 concerts. Because we found ways to innovate to make sure you were tested before you walked in. You had a negative when you walked in. We did grouping pairs. Uh, you had to do four um, or less per group. You had to sit with known entities, all this kind of stuff. And it, it allowed us to continue through the pandemic. Josh, let's see some of those slides. There we yeah, go. Yeah, go back to that first one. So that'll show you um, where the the fan base is, right? That's, that That's That shows the density of where... Um, fans are located and where tickets are sold. So before we moved, we did you know a whole mapping of where our tickets are sold, and we wanted to move closer to them. That's what we did. So huge fan base, 20 million across the country, which is huge. The next one will show you our actual um, visitor. So this is a great thing to to understand. So we hit a record, yes sir, 20 year record of ticket sales, 3.2 million tickets we sold, right? Out of 41,000 capacity, that's huge. We had the highest percentage of available capacity show up, 94%, highest in the league by far. We do 10 million visitors a year. So if 3.2 million are ticket holders and we do 10 total, about 70% of our traffic is on game day. We've done 126 team tours with teams, developers all over the country, every sport you could think of, uh, including you guys last week. And uh, the one thing that they don't understand, and, and you can tell by the first question, is, yeah, this is great. What about non-game days? We're like, you don't get it. How <laughs> many people have come by to take a look? 126 teams. So NHL, MLB, and Oh, we have the people who developed cricket uh, pitches or fields, whatever they call them. It came to do with the largest developers in every continent has been by to understand how did you marry commercial real estate with uh, professional sports? And then there's a million ways to answer that. So this shows you just comparatively to these different locations you might be familiar with around the country. What does 10 million visitors mean on our campus on the 100 acres? You know, Caesar's Palace is 17, we're at 10. Magic Kingdom is 14. Epcot 11, we're at 10. So it gives you a good perspective of how many actual bodies we're moving through this campus. Also the dwell time. 247 minutes of dwell time, non-game day. That's like 100 minutes more than our next competitor, of our mixed-use competitor. It's huge. Right? Why are they staying? Why are they so dedicated? Brand leverage. It's safe, it's clean, and it's compelling. Merchandising mix and all that stuff we can go into. But this is the site. It's at the intersection of I 75 and 285, which always helps. Um, we looked at 41 different sites before choosing this one. Well, why did no one choose this in the past? The next picture will show. How big you. is it? 100 acres, 67 contiguous, 100 total. So here's a great picture. That was taken in November of 14. We opened in April of 17. <laughs> We did all of this in 30 months, 32, 34 months, whatever that math comes out. to. But that row of trees you can see going diagonally through the asset right there, those were three colonial pipelines that pump petroleum from Houston to New Jersey and they ran straight through there. And that's why that site went untouched for like 50 years. So we had to do an NDA, go to colonial CEO, say, hey, look, here's our plan. And he says, I bet you want us to move those pipes. I said, if you wouldn't mind. So 14 (laughs) and a half million dollars later, we rerouted them where you see the blue pipes going around because you cannot build vertically on these colonial pipelines, right? Everybody heard about them getting hacked and all this is a very sophisticated system. In fact, they can pump petroleum one, stop flush and and pump petroleum two in 24 hours from Houston to New Jersey, it's wild. So we had to lay the pipe around areas where a part of our master plan, Populous was helpful with this, um, make sure that we were never gonna build vertically on that area. Um, so rerouted it to unlock this whole site, we had to do that in 24 hours. So lay the pipe, make the connection 24 hours, 14 and a half million dollars, you unlock this for the next 100 years. So that's how we fell onto this site and how we made it work for us uh, in the interim. Then 36 months later, we threw our first pitch, April of 17. Next slide. The next slide shows what it became 36 months later. The how is the compelling part, but it looks really cool. (laughs) Yeah, it does. So six general contractors, uh, multiple joint ventures of which the Braves owned and control 100%. There are one master association, four condo associations, 27 different parcels, and 42 different budget entities to make all this work. Jeremy, there was a question
0: that came in. Tell us about the landlord. Who owns it? Is there one master developer? Yes, the Braves Development Company. What about the landlord? How does that work? That's me. That yeah,
1: that's us. So we have the Braves Development Company, Braves Construction Company, the Braves Entertainment Company, the Braves Parking Services Company, BDC Office One. There's there's 42 different entities that go into control. This we are the 100% controller of all of them. So we so I'll give you an example of why we did it that way. It was complicated. It cost eight million dollars in legal fees. Totally worth it. DLA Pipers, awesome. Shout out Maxine Hicks. Um, but we wanted to be able to sell certain parts but retain control. Right. We have a $4 billion brand. We're spending a billion and a half dollars. We have to control it forever. So we made sure that um, when we built the residential, as soon as it got to 90-something percent occupied, we were going to sell it, um, turn that cash, go into phase two. So we sold it to Cortland. We were 95% occupied. We were doing probably 265 a foot. The market was at like 125. And we were at 265 a foot. Sold it for, I don't know, made like, $128 million in two two years, something like that, less than two years, 18 months. Um, and they have no votes. So Steve DeFrancis, you know, that billion-dollar company, came to us and said, I'm paying you whatever it was, $158 million, and I don't get a vote. I said, there's five. If it makes you feel better, I'll give you one. But, you know, you're not going to control this thing. For $158 million, It's n- it's nice, but I spent one five. And our fans, right, 3.2 million a year, 10 million people. This is the Braves legacy that I'm a temporary steward of here. You know, We're not going to let you muck it up with multifamily. So you want the cash, you want to be a flagship, we'll sell it to you. But we're going to retain all the control and the rights for all associations. And that's, that's one example of why we structured it the way we
0: did. I told Jeremy I'd do this. Next slide. He, he's on a roll. He'll just keep going. He's awesome.
1: We got so Tom that's here. how it breaks out, right? Entertainment, residential, office. Um, we have two hotels now Uh, one of your questions is gonna be you know how this evolved one of the hotels was supposed to be a residential area, right? We were going to have two competing residential areas. It'll be great for rates and, you know, it will keep them accountable to each other. Well, then Krupp came knocking, right? They were moving out of Chicago. They needed a place to accentuate their brand. This is the elevator company. This is the, yeah, Krupp elevator company out of Germany. Um, they're now called TKE, right? They're like Otis Schindler, uh, these people that provide vertical transportation. And so they were coming out of Chicago. We had a blank you know, four and a half acre site on the interstate. It was just a pile of, of debris we were using. And um, they said that they wanted to move their headquarters here, but we had no incentives to get them because we took them all. So uh, they were going to North Carolina, South Carolina. We said, we do not have a financially, you know, uh, advantageous deal for you. But what we do have is you can connect to the legacy brand of the Atlanta Braves that will incentivize your workers. It will retain your workers. We have the Hartsfield, you know, number one airport in the world, Georgia Tech, UGA. We have the talent. Um, you need brand presence. Who's got better brand presence than the Braves? So they ended up building a $200 million test tower, the only one in the Western Hemisphere that's um, 200 million. And- it 280 feet in the air? Oh, no, 420 feet in the air. We had to go to Germany to see this thing. We did slip form construction. You know what that is, continuously pouring for 62 days. Never stopped pouring, moving the slip up. So in 60 days, we had a 420-foot tower. We also happened to be 13,000 feet from the runway of Do- uh, Dobbins Air Force Base. So we got to have some great chats with the DOD, the Air Force, and met some great generals. Um, and got all that approved, which was fantastic, and the FAA and all that. Um, And then we built an office tower next to them. So we ground leased it to them for 100 years and then built the office tower that they would move into. And they took half that building. And then that's when Papa John's came on and said, we want to do the same thing. You know, they had a problem in Louisville. Um, Luckily, their new CEO, Rob Lynch, is a local Atlanta fella. He came from Yum Brands with uh, Arby's and said, look, I'll be CEO if you move. Uh, The headquarters out of Louisville into Atlanta. And he said, and I'm telling you right where you're going to move it to. So they took the rest of the half, uh, pretty much the rest of the half of that building. So that's how we ended up with the Papa John's. And every deal that we do essentially is a multi-dimensional deal. It's a sponsor. It's hospitality. It's advertising. It's something more than just paying your landlord rent. Usually people think of that as just a line on your OPEX, right? How do I amortize this thing and get it off my books? With us, it's how do I use my landlord to grow my brand? That never happens, Right. And that's kind of the secret sauce, one part of it, um, to how these relationships were leveraged.
0: Terrific. Thank you, Jeremy. OK, so I think we get a sense of what
1: they did in Atlanta. We're going to continue
0: to explore that a little bit, but we want to kind of broaden the lens a little bit. How can it apply somewhere else? How, you know, What are the lessons learned, et cetera, et cetera? Greg, I want to move to you for a second. Tell us a little bit about what Populous did in Atlanta, and then tell us what the unique opportunity was there for Atlanta and the Braves.
2: Yeah, let me uh, set a little context so um that's the results right and and it's very sort of methodical in the way that it was you know sort of laid out uh we came in on uh the project extremely early kind of you know, honestly very surprised that uh they were making the decision to move out of turner field i mean which was a excellent ballpark we happen to be sport architects so and we've done 16 of uh, the 30 major league parks in the country Um, we don't just do baseball we do all sorts of major league franchises uh, actually uh, sport venues at all levels collegiate uh, all around the globe Um, so this this was a really interesting interesting challenge for us and we we came in really early we were sort of invited in as the sport architect on the ballpark so here's a question that uh, how long was the design phase Well, it really doesn't stop. So, um, I think if you know, respond to that question. Extremely tight timeline. We were designing pretty much all the way through through the project. But normally, we take uh, sixteen months or so, you know, from start to finish to kind of get the documents prepared. Sometimes it's fast tracked. Um, In this case, we're almost fearful, right, in, in the way that it was coming so fast, which was the unique sort of disruptive feature of this particular project, which we seized as an opportunity. Um, So so extremely fast pace thing going on. So, you know, the thing to understand, you know, ballparks are like super unique venues. Um, If you just like look at the the sport anchor in itself, they're they're very malleable. I'm sure there's I'll bet there's a ton of baseball fans in here or softball fans. it's, it's one of the building types that you can change configurations. You can uh, there's different orientation uh, optimizations for playability. And and it creates a lot of like interesting s- synergies on the periphery of the park, right, the way it's oriented, the way that the outfield uh, displays itself, how it connects. When the Braves decided they were doing 65 acres, so you need 15 acres for a ballpark is generally kind of the rule of thumb. So four city blocks. Um, this is 65 acres, so we'll multi- multiply that out in your head. Um, and that was really kind of what was really special about this opportunity. This was really the first client. You know, we always think in terms of dis- district scale. Um, you can you can look around the country and and look at some of the models where uh, let's let's take uh, Pittsburgh Steelers and the um, Pittsburgh Pirates for example, where it's two anchor buildings. You got the ballpark, and then you have a football stadium. Traditionally, it kind of started out as you know, see a parking between it, and then and then you hope you build between, right? So then that development sort of happens over time. So Heinzfield was built in the late '90s, and it's it has started to fill in, right? So it takes time. In this case, it was all spontaneous, right? It was like this is going to happen all at once. And the be- the beauty or the magic um, in what was innovative about the thought, the thinking here was, we can really work on an extended experience. So. Our role basically just got expanded, um, you know, tremendously. And this this is how we think, because there's there is an expanded experience at the ballpark. You, you know, you need you need you need to arrive, you need to park, and you need to enjoy the game, and then you need to exit. So it gets into a much bigger conversation, which is, and, and I'm going to steal Jeremy's thunder on this because he's the one that gave me this, but it gives you the ability to choreograph the experience from the time. You know, ultimately with technology, it's really choreographing the experience from the time you buy your ticket through technology applications, time you leave your driveway, uh, you know, get on a bus or a train to come to the site or get in your car and arrive on the site. And in this case, we were able to sort of begin to sort of think about this is not going to be a sea of parking because we're going to have to really became, you know, create this sort of uh, embedded composition of development. And we call it nested parking, right? So it's not a sea of parking, right? You, you come in and as soon as you, you know, park, um, you're, you're now in this environment, right? It's a whole new experience. It essentially
0: surrounds the development.
2: Is that right? Yeah, Yeah. you know,
0: it's,
1: and this isn't the only place. (laughs) Yeah, you can't, you can't see it. We didn't want you to see seas of parking decks and concrete. Maybe go back a slide or two.
0: We can see. um, Okay. Yeah. So they're
1: they're placed around the periphery and you essentially park and then walk through paseos or connections. So when you're standing in the mostly pedestrian only. Campus, you're not staring at parking decks and vehicles and sucking fumes. You're enjoying the atmosphere, the landscape, and the merchandising base. How many (laughs) how many parking spaces? 7,800 that we own, and then we control up to another 12,000 for game days. We're also the third well before everything went to hell in 19. We were the third largest by volume Uber stand Uber destination in the country, between five and six thousand arrivals and departures a day.
0: Those
2: all on site.
1: Yes. You don't see them, yeah, right. That's amazing. And then we did a deals with 21 different property owners. All these vacant. You can see all the office over here. That's double on on our on our east. Um, we know that their space coming. Being a developer, said, "Look, your decks are empty at four o'clock. Why don't you let us, you know, make you some money? We take them over, park fans for night games. Um, day games are a little iffier. That's why we're happy to have the Air Force partnership with Dobbins and we we bust them in. But um, we were able to never sell out of parking. You know, even during game five Halloween World Series, which I think the photo is the last picture of this deck. um, We had one hundred and thirty thousand people on campus at the peak. And that peak was 10 p.m. The ballpark holds 42 plus standing room. We had one hundred and thirty thousand on campus and a sold out concert at the Roxy and game five of the World Series
2: and Halloween. Yeah. Greg, back to you. Yeah. So you can imagine, that, you know, the, the, the problem gets pretty expanded when you've got this much, you know, sort of landscape to That's... think about. And, you know, the, yeah, that, the, the, the uniqueness about the parking uh, situation and I, I described it, at, you know, it's it's nestled. So you don't you don't really see it necessarily. You can find it through wayfinding. Um, but there's a whole nother aspect to it, which is what Jeremy alludes to is there, it's a shared condition. Mm-hmm. so. You have to create a system, right, that allows for the residents because there's uh, 500 units and and growing. Jeremy will touch on this as well. Uh, that have to be able to come into the district on a game time situation. So there's there's a you know there's a method behind behind all of it that has to be sort of you know choreographed as, as I've been. Um, yeah, certain Explain. Game
1: day, non game day obligations with the Department of Homeland Security. You have security uh, blast radius restrictions with the league. Um, you have to have certain uh, bollards up. Um, and uh, to your point, Greg, you can't tell someone you can't go home. So you have to be able to access all 531 apartments from one road that never closes. Well, if we're going to do that, we got to make sure that that road um, is under our control. Um, it happened to be a county road, blah, blah, blah. So Between MLB game day, non-game day, pedestrian access, you know, um, the different multi-uses, all that had to go in at the beginning, and you had to do it real quick, and it had to make money.
0: Greg, if we continue to expand the lens again, this is obviously very successful in Atlanta. Where else has something like this occurred? Good, Great question.
2: (laughs) You know, we can learn uh, learn lessons from the past. I was prepared. I was prepared for this question. <laughs> I'm going to take you back 500 years. No way. <laughs> no way. And I'll and I'll bring you forward too. But, um, you know, I'm sure everybody's gone to Europe, you know, various places in Europe, uh, you know, you know, these cities were sort of formed over time and there's a tremendous amount of, uh, learning exercises. The one place that really strikes me, um, and, and I use this kind of model, um, in, in my head, in, in my own little form and fashion is, uh, the, uh, compo, the, the compo in uh, Siena, if anybody's ever been there. But, you know, basically it's a, you know, it's a town square and it's medieval in nature. It's surrounded by um, a, a, a myriad of different types of functionality at, at the base, uh, restaurants. And um, what's unique is it's sloped. So you can kind of sit on it and depending on the weather. Um, and then the real, the most powerful thing about this that, that I, you know, sort of bring about is, that's really profound, and has never hasn't really happened since. Is it? It transforms into Palio, right? They do this this amazing uh, kind of horse race in this square, and it's you know it's just filled with people, and the whole place just transforms, right? It, no longer is it a, is a plaza, piazza, uh, it becomes this sort of event condition. Once, you know, once the event's over, then it retracts and it goes back into its sort of normal day-to-day type of great, wonderful sort of public square in, in Italy. And a lot of elements that, you know, we can learn from European cities, and I don't want to just focus here. There's other places in the world uh, that we all can kind of like cite that have these sort of elements that are introduced into um, some of the characteristics of, of the battery. And, it, you know, it's kind of it maybe an exaggeration. Uh, if you if you've Take a look at uh, the landscape in the United States. Um, there are plenty, really, there's a lot of really good uh, district examples. Never, never been done this quickly all at once simultaneously. So, this, this is really, you know, anchor, uh, sport anchor development 2.0, right? And there, there is a question that will come up later, which is what's 3.0 going to look like, right? And um, th- that's where the crystal ball will come out. And we'll see who has good answers on that one um but uh, i like to i like to refer to um it's petco park um it's the ballpark for the padres in san diego which which is a great urban urban condition um you know it was very nicely placed Um, they took uh in this case they took 30 acres so it's really kind of like two you know two basic you know plots of land 15 and 15. So the ballpark takes up 15 and then it's sort of, it's outfield sort of bleeds into the other uh, 15, which they call it park in the park. Um, the, what's really super unique is they take, they take the barriers down. So you can, you can stroll through the park. You can't literally go on the grass, but 14th street goes right on through. Um, it's accessible. So the other side, the park in the park, it's kind of a knoll and it's, it is surrounded by uh, development. Um, and it transforms, you know, you, they, they kind of close it off during the game. So you can have a seat in the ballpark, or you could have a, a picnic grass berm seat in the park, in the park. And you're, all of that is contained within the ticketed area, but on a non game, it opens up to sort of a public domain. you well. Um, and it's, it's a powerful model because the development was sort of stimulated or invigorated by the ballpark itself. <laughs> Um, you can look at some time lapse on Google Earth and see, um, excuse me, see what's happened over time. But a tremendous amount of growth, you know, we call it, you know, this is might be kind of corny, but we call it beachfront property, which would be appropriate in San Diego. But tremendous uh, real estate value occurs at the periphery of the ballpark. Um, you know, in, in some cases you can get too close maybe and, you, you, know, you, you know, there might be some issues, annoyance of, you know, sounds and lights and all that stuff. But people uh, commercial and residential uh, development likes like to sort of surround themselves and be part of that sort of energy of of sport anchored um, (coughs) types of districts. So Petco is a great example. Um, There's many more. Um, uh, I'm based out of Kansas City, so uh, Power and Light District in Kansas City's um, amazing kind of district infusion into downtown which took time and has continued to grow. Uh, the DARE District, which we worked uh, closely. We worked, in in Milwaukee. On, with yeah. Mortensen, we worked on projects together. Um, a great example of uh, sort of district thinking. Um, Coors Field, uh, transformed Lodo, uh, Denver, complete transformation. And of course it all kind of starts with I shouldn't say, of course, but it starts with the idea of putting this sort of series, sort of anchor um, into the development and, and let things kind of evolve around it. Baseball's like really unique in that you you get automatically 80 games, you know, you get 80 events. So that has a lot of appeal. The battery is 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 taking it to the next level because they have other uh, ancillary kinds of entertainment assets. They got the Roxy. We do over 500 events a you year. Know. Yeah. Um, on and, and there's a lot of space in the ballpark itself that swings into meeting rooms. And uh, it, it's incredible to see their metrics, the way they use the ballpark. And I describe it as the ballpark kind of blurs the edges a lot with the district. So somewhat like what happened in Petco, it, it blurs these lines. And not only so you, you can get away from the 80 event days and you can really start getting closer to 240 idealistic 365 right so how do you how do you bring attention to your district well you do it through creating entertainment um assets that people come to and they basically uh experience not just the venue but you know arrival and the sequence of departure all those kinds of things create a more total experience
0: yeah thanks thanks Greg I really want to come back and explore a little bit about the different areas, what they're like. I'm getting some questions about, are they you know, uh, underserved areas in the cities that you've been mentioning spe- specifically in Atlanta? But I-, I wanna get to our very patient um, <laughs> fourth panelist here. Um, Sarah, tell us about Mortensen and specifically about the collaboration that went on in Atlanta and the importance of that in you know, maybe future developments.
3: Absolutely. Um, Okay. So Mortensen, um, we're a large general contractor. We do a ton of work in the renewable space. We do a ton of work in the federal space, sports space. We have 13 regional offices. So it's definitely a um, pretty incredible company. I think at our core, though, we're a third-generation family-owned company. And we've really done what we do today by trying to be the very best, not the biggest. And so I think that if I had to kind of sum up where we land in the sports world and, and how we even entered this picture, it would be because, um, you know, sports construction is, it's a, it's an event driven schedule. So there's typically, you know, the game will start on this day, whether you're ready for it or not. And, um, the biggest part about that is that there's just a huge paradigm of lateness and, um, dangerous, dangerous projects, um, big safety issues happen. We, I would say we being the, the general contractor community have a bad reputation of turning projects over, um, not on time, exceeding budgets and, um, providing a bad experience for a lot of people. And we do that differently. And so this was, um, one example of many where, um, you know, Jeremy did it and Greg did a fantastic job talking about how the development came together. Just for anybody who does geek out about construction things in the room, here we go. So um, uh, major jobs in Atlanta are done by four general contractors. Uh, Sometimes they're arranged marriages. We feel pretty strongly that those kinds of partnerships, company to company, need to be intentional, purposeful, um, and you're literally married to each other. So your success is dependent upon your ability to bring four companies together, teams together, and have that be a really important synergy. So this job was no different so mortensen was the sports expertise in the picture and there were three other local <sighs> firms that had incredible parts to bring to the table but i don't know has anybody in the room done a quad venture before i have yeah jeremy has. um so that's formidable um that's not for the faint of heart and the the most exciting part of it is is that you really do you can have an opportunity to succeed together. You can have an opportunity to play it any way you want to. But I I believe on this job, we were able to leverage the best parts of each company. Um, And we absolutely turned the project over on time, under budget, and we did not have any significant safety issues. And I think that you can't um, underestimate enough. I want to make two points. One is the most important thing for a builder is to understand our customer's business and to understand how it works and to understand what the design team is trying to accomplish and make sure that we successfully execute that and hopefully add value through the way, right? So in order to make revenue, to generate the revenue that you've intentionally created through all the spaces, you need to start making revenue on the day that you intend to do that, right? You need to not cancel events and do all the things. And so I, I just can't or you know, over, um, say that enough is that that's the bar, right? Anything less than that is not acceptable. That is the bar that we should be moving forward in. And the second thing is, is that the context of this job is that Mercedes Benz was being built at the same time. And that's not atypical, right? There's definitely massive projects being built concurrently all over the country, but you better bet that it plays into the, to the makeup of the job, right? So who are going to be the people that you are able to bring on board? How is that all going to go together? When we were building Raiders, SoFi was being built at the same time. And by the way, they were delayed a year. We weren't through a pandemic. But the, the the point of the story is, is that the execution part of the whole deal, that's event-driven schedules, right? So we come together, we understand the vision and the customer is able to, you know, I think one of the most exciting um, things that I've ever heard from a customer and Jeremy, maybe y'all would agree, is that opening a new stadium is a formidable deal, right? But feeling at home in your brand new stadium for your opening day—that's what makes it all come together, right? So if we're able to give you an opportunity to move in, not have you know, we we pride ourselves on zero punch list by opening day, right? But that that gives you a space to actually feel at home on opening day, and that's kind of how I would describe the construction in a nutshell.
0: Terrific, thank you. Uh, Incredibly important. Um, I'm gonna go to some of the questions that you all are bringing, uh, bring bring me some more questions if you want. Uh, Jeremy, talk to us about the area in Atlanta that the battery Park sits. Is it upscale, underserved,
1: et cetera? And did it matter? Yeah, it mattered. Um, Yes, where I come from. So this is my, Atlanta is my 13th move in 10th state. So throughout my life and professional career, I've got to see a lot of the country. Um, it was a big deal apparently in Atlanta to be inside the perimeter. So inside the 285 highway or outside, ITP or OTP. Like people didn't date each other. If you are ITP or you're OTP, or I don't go out or I don't come in. It was a big thing. Um, what people fail to recognize is that Turner Field was actually a mile south of downtown. It wasn't in downtown Atlanta right? Because Atlanta actually goes downtown, midtown, Buckhead, and then that's the north of the perimeter. So we were a mile south of downtown. It was not easy to walk there, to drive there. It is not easy when most of your fan base is working north of you. And especially a, a major percentage, which we saw on our heat maps and our metrics, was living north of where they work. So they were having to come into downtown, go to work, go home, get the kids, get the spouse, get back in the car, battle the traffic of people trying to get out, come back in, and then go a mile south of where they work. It was just not a great experience. That's why they were coming after the second inning and leaving before the seventh. We knew this. It was not sustainable, no no matter how good the team was. Um, so we wanted to make sure that we found the location that served our guests. And we did it with metrics. We didn't guess. We didn't make it political. We wanted to stay in Atlanta. We wanted to stay at Turner Field. We gave the local mayor opportunity to do that they said look um, we don't have the money they needed a hundred million dollars in repairs on Turner Field they said we don't have it I said, well uh, well we, we might look elsewhere and it was kind of like okay <laughs> and then we did and we found this site there was a meeting with a, a Cobb County chairman uh, that occurred between our CEO and Cobb County chairman Tim Lee God rest his soul um, he um, met for lunch and agreed that this one site could possibly work. Three weeks later, we had a, a a deal. Three weeks. We brokered all the land in one single transaction and nobody knew, not one single person knew who was buying it. Even our brokers, there those of you in the room, had no idea um, what was happening until we announced.
0: It. So Jeremy, question related to that. Um, what were the incentives provided to make the stadium happen?
1: So as most people recognize, these public investments in um, these ballparks don't typically pencil out. I don't know if any of them that stand alone and pencil out. And there's a reason for that, because when the um, public um municipality gives you bonds or gives you cash or builds it for you, whatever, that asset is not on the tax on the roll. So there is no taxes that come from that piece of, of land. Um, so they typically with concessions or what little they get um, out of the uh, events, they don't typically uh, have a positive uh, ROI. So what we said was, we know that that is the typical model. What we want is $300 million in bonds. We will put $400 million of our own money uh, into the ballpark itself, which they will own and then lease back to us. But in addition to that, we're going to put $900 million outside the ballpark on our back, on our dime, which does sit on property tax, hotel, motel tax, sales tax, liquor tax, all those type things that then generate revenue for the county. So because we committed to the battery Atlanta as a whole campus, it made the entire deal pencil out. Right. And some of these economists like to come in and just focus on one, focus on the anchor, focus on the ballpark. Well, OK, if you look at your budget and you just look at your expenses, you're broke. Well, how much revenue are you bringing in? Right. You look you need to look at the net. And there's a big thing coming into, into from real estate into sports It's like I used to, to do this for our front office. This is gross. This is net. We focus on the net. You can throw the greatest party forever, you know, for a million dollars. But if it costs you million dollars to do it what's the point right because the usual typically the um, value of a sports franchise is uh is an art not a science right it doesn't matter if the team really doesn't matter if the team wins uh, loses has great margins knows what the problem you know EBITDA is Are you kidding me in sports EBITDA right most of these teams <laughs> doesn't matter the um, um, the uh, sport they operate in the in the red so to have this concept where you need to have a, fine, a cash flow in a financially um, uh, kind of independent piece of your business that can fuel your on-field product, that was the compelling factor for the Braves. And we have a very innovative spirit and certainly are risk takers. Given,
0: given that model and the success that you've had, do you see um, another Major League Baseball team being built without a battery-like uh, appendage to it?
1: based on my personal knowledge of these owners and these presidents and the teams coming to us I don't see how they can or why would you um, why focus on 81 days or you know 30 with basketball whatever eight with NFL which is a great gig if you can get an NFL gig <laughs> Are you kidding me I go to my friends at the Raiders and I says all this shit here, eight days a year you know plus special events so maybe 30 whoo you know don't break a sweat um, but for baseball specifically the investment from the from the, the public taxpayer is so scrutinized these days, but the formula has already been proven to work. It's just the bandwidth. I, I, I said this, you know, I worked at Simon Property Group at s 100 Company, right? But if you came to me and said, hey, Mr. Developer, go run a baseball team, I'd be like, well, how the hell am I going to do this? It's exactly the same thing that happened to our, our baseball side. And it took a lot of reprogramming, right? Uh, what we call big leaguing in, in baseball to go from You know, my side of the business is the most important. And what are you doing out over here? And game days matter and everything else. You know, I'm tired. I need to be with my family. Well, you can't have the one without the other, right? You need to pay for pitchers. You need to pay for the staff. You need to pay for the the ballpark. And you need to grow a brand that is sustainable and is further reaching than 81 days a year. And because we're, you know, 152 years old this year, um, that was important to us. And we had a great fan base to receive it. Yeah, terrific. Thanks,
0: Jeremy. Um, this is a question for you, Sarah. <clears throat> How was the project delivered differently than other major facilities like it? How did you manage constructability issue through the design
1: phase?
3: Well, I think um I mean, just to kind of talk about I, I think big picture. So 65 acres, we um we had the entire site secured and then I think very intentionally had the utility work, right? I mean, all the infrastructure that was supported, the master vision was all completed along with certainly the ballpark, which took um, 29 months of the duration that Jeremy was talking about. But but that, right, was your long burn. And then um, each of those, we call them pad ready sites, right? Um, so each of those sites were pad ready. And then really that was where the remainder of the contractors that um, were able to come and build, right? So there's a difference between folks that can deliver um some of those product types than a ballpark right and so I, I we really think that it's really important to have a good diversity of mixture of people who are able to build and, and contribute and so long story short we, we kind of phased it twice right so we did the full acreage all the utility upgrades we were working on the ballpark at the same time and that's when things got really exciting because you literally I mean you know we literally had 65 acres under construction at the same time certainly we were controlling the the larger kind of more complex pieces but I mean it was it was hot and heavy and I think super um super exciting the the whole time I mean you know I, I uh, hats off for for you guys for managing all of those different parts. I think the only other thing I was gonna mention was um there's a there's a strategic way, right, to really leverage this this project was built from 2015 to 2017 and, and you know how fast technology is evolving these days, right? But just just thinking for a second about the example of a couple pieces of technology that we were able to use um, that we think were significant. And then again, we've built on that since then. We like to take a concept of anything that duplicates or anything that's complicated, we're going to build that virtually first, right? Um, and one of the ways that we are able to complement the Braves is that we did a, a suite, a virtual mock-up, right? So mock-ups are sometimes hard, especially with the commodity and, and lead times these days. But but on a fast-paced schedule, you actually can't get the light fixture and all the things sometimes as quickly as when it was selected to when you actually need to start procuring it and building it into so virtual Um, using AR, using VR is super helpful. And in this case, we actually had a really successful situation. We confirmed a bunch of the design. We did make a couple tweaks. All of it was non impactful to the construction schedule. But then the Braves actually used that VR model to sell the suites to their season ticket and suite holders. We also did, it was such a success. We did a couple other suite and club spaces too. And so you think about the ways that we can all kind of complement each other. By building a better product making sure that we build exactly what you guys want and oh by the way go and sell it and and you know again this was in 2017 so imagine what we're doing in 2022 but um, i think that there's a couple of pieces that were were really fun to kind of complement each other
0: yeah terrific thank you greg you um we've mentioned parking and things like that talk to us about transportation aspects and you know what are the things you got to think about, particularly as you maybe are doing the next
2: one? Okay. Um, but I just want to kind of circle back on uh, Sarah's point here is that what's, what, you know, what's really critical uh, to our success is to have uh, the partnership early on to work together. Like sometimes the design has to complement what's executable, right? And in some cases, uh, during construction, the traffic pattern um, and or the layout of, of of the overall district kind of kind of plays a part so you, you kind of have to learn um alongside each other so that partnership and you know w- with the builder in, in this case more like more of a pre-con kind of um assistance is like incredibly important and then of course you have the leadership coming from the client who's, who's kind of driving this vision of the project and and we really have to sort of hold this all together so that partnership that essence is like incredibly important and and one more tier out is is the public side which is also incredible because you you know you have a district and you've got the boundaries of the district but there's a whole edge beyond that that has to be kind of like another sort of source of partnership to to put that together and so to
0: yeah transportation real quick because we're going to have to sum up here in a second (laughs) right
2: so to transportation yeah you know again we came in early um you know we kind of understand the you know the implications of it's really we're dealing with a surge right a surge of game time event it's a massive uh flood of cars in the parking so you know we developed a plan up front the framework um you know in which to nestle parking uh work work with the sharing and uh borrowing of parking to, to mitigate asphalt of parking so that was kind of key you know we come in we understand uh basic traffic you know concerns like you know we use metrics on um you know number of cars and you know we do hire engineers that come in and really you know begin to sort of pinpoint down this from more of an engineering perspective but having that kind of holistic understanding of of what that surge is gonna look like, how to get people in and out with ease and make that experience as positive as possible. Um, that's you know, really the goal. But then, but really there, there's more to it, right? Because you're kind of designing the city. You know, we we look at the streets, um, and if you if you really think of it, um, streets are flexible. You know, we we take streets, in some cases we'll block them off. Um, you know, they're streets on a normal day. And on a game time, they become more pedestrian accessible things. And it's back to the European model. Um, so, so that's super important to be able to apply those kinds of metrics to allow for this transformational kind of infusion of cars and people um, onto an event. And then there's the subtle things, right? The vi- it's, I call it the vistas, right? The, the, the streets or the corridors lead you somewhere, right? So the architecture begins to sort of it gives you an impression of signage. Which comes with you know landscaping and the scale, the scale of the streets and all all these things. So it's real. It's 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 more so. It's not really just traffic management. <laughs> it's it's really about how do you how do you craft the it evolves. We had, we had a
1: parking meeting every week for three years. Yeah, um, and it, and we just changed it this season. Every season we change it because you're moving into a market. Yeah. Remember, they didn't have paid parking. So I have 26 million feet of office space. They didn't even have gates on their parking decks. So what's the first thing you're going to do if you're coming to a Braves game? Find free parking somewhere. <laughs> Ditch your car, walk over with the kids. You know, you may be in some kind of condition going back. You know, we can't have that because I, it doesn't matter who owns the property. They're a Braves fan. Yeah. And they're going to call us. I had a terrible experience. It's your yep. fault, uh, all this. So we, we've gotten it down to one parking meeting. Uh, every two weeks now um, <laughs> and a great parking structure and we still provide two hours of free parking every single yep. uh, game day and non-game day it's three hours free
0: oh, okay we've got to wrap up this is terrific I'm gonna ask you you don't put that down yet rapid fire round you've got exactly half a second to think what's your one piece of advice to whomever's thinking about doing this next and you get one piece of advice and it's got to be quick
1: control you Greg, have to control it all yourself. If you if if you're not good at making decisions, do not do this.
2: <laughs> Greg, uh, longevity, which connects to sustainability, um, transformational. It's got to be flexible, um, and I think that you know the final thing would be to um, understand that you you have to think ahead, right? And it's got to be authentic to your location. We're not suggesting we're going to take the battery and just move it somewhere else to St. Louis or something. Everything has to be aesthetic, yeah. as authentic and local as possible. And that's going to drive a completely different kind of solution of the model. It's, Great point. You know, the point yeah, is authentic
0: to the place. Great. Sarah, last word.
3: I would say execution and buy-in. So you can't underestimate how many people and how much support it takes to get over the hurdles and to make it all happen.
0: What a terrific project manager to. Totally. Yeah, execution. Yeah. Please join me in thanking our our panel.